This is iFanboy Media Splode, Episode 8. Second, take your time. You know I'm yours if you remember that you're mine. And when everybody's telling me I have. Hello, welcome to my fanboy media explode episode eight. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Como estas, hermanos? And Ron Richards. Hello, my friends. And this is Media Splode, the show unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash iFanboy. And it's our monthly show in which we look at media outside of the comic book world because that's what we normally cover. It's the tiny version of the upcoming all-media extravaganza show we do at the end of the year. Is this the part where we say that we had, uh, when we started doing this or when we thought about doing this, we could go see movies and go see bands and do other things, but now because of blah, 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 we're stuck at home and all we do is watch TV and blah, blah, blah? We're running out of material. Okay, cool. Just want to make sure everyone's on the same page. I don't know if you guys heard, but there's a pandemic. No films, no live shows. It's over. No Nickelodeons. I thought the pandemic was over, I heard. No marionette shows. I would kill to go to a marionette show. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I went to one when I was a kid. They had one in New York. It was awesome. Well, New York is a, a, a city of culture. Yeah. I would go see a showcase of oldies from the 70s right now where, you know, each person gets Starship? 10 minutes. And they, yeah. Like, they, you know, so the guy sings Brandy, you're a fine girl. And then after That'd that. would be awesome. Like, my parents, my, I went, my parents took me once to the, uh, the uh, what was it, the Westbury Music Fair, and it was a doo-wop night, and nice. it was one of those where, like, the Starlights did a set, and then, you know. <laughs> well, that used to be a thing, right? Yeah. Like, where, where they would, like, package the oldies store, yep. and they don't do that. Like, you don't get, like, Pearl Jam. And <laughs> well, no, because pilots. those guys don't need the money. As opposed no, to the, yeah. the guys, the doo-wop era needed the money because they all got screwed well, by the labels. In fairness, that all happens, but those I mean before COVID. But the, I mean, like, you know, I went. I've been going to Riot Fest for the past eight years, and it's a bunch of forty, fifty-year-old dudes watching Joan Jett and watching Rage Against the Machine and watching. True. The whole, yeah, like, but, like it just it just cha- it, the 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 aesthetic cha- uh, yes. followed, you know. But the concept is still there, sort of. But it was like the other thing I think is that a lot of the bands that. We'll, we'll just say the kind of the kind of bands that that like we would listen to, for example, they're a lot more album oriented. Whereas a lot of people from the sixties and seventies, they didn't have full length album; they just had a single or two, and that really was all they had. And so they can go do that tour, and they play their three songs, and they're out. You know, we're now the Playtone yeah. Galaxy exactly. Stars. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Let's just talk about that again. It was on TV yesterday. And I watched about twenty minutes of it. It's so good. Can I tell you? It's so good. Every time one of my kids picks up two sticks, we start singing that thing you do, and they pretend they play drums, and it's just wonderful. Okay, I can't allow this to go on. All right, so this is uh, we're going to talk about things we watched this past month. Uh, there'll be spoilers, especially for the some of the more in depth discussions. So you're warned. And we're going to start with our traditional opening segment, which we talk about things we we call the st- quarantine streaming segment. We've talked about books. I don't know. I guess everything is considered streaming right now. It's all streaming. It's all streaming. Josh, you kick us off. Yeah. So a few years ago, probably even more than a few, Connor, you gave me a book called I'm Dying Up Here. Mm -hmm. And it was the true story, oral history of uh, the comedy store in the 70s. And the, well, I'd say famous strike, but I didn't know about it before I read the, the book, where basically all the sort of comedians decided that they wanted to be paid by Mitzi Shore, Polly Shore's mother, for sort of the crowds they were bringing in. And it was this whole thing, and it was a strike, and there's lots of names that you would know uh, involved with it. You know, Dave Letterman and Jay Leno and Richard Klein. Richard Klein. He wasn't there. He was one of those comedians. No. He was a, he was a feature act by then. Uh, ah. Shan- Shandling, though, big heel. Yep. yep. And uh, I really enjoyed the book. And so a uh, number of years ago, I think the show was 2016, Showtime put out a show called I'm Dying Up Here. And I thought, oh, I'd like to see that sometime, but I never had Showtime. And they, they put it on Amazon for some reason. And we got through, and Lindsay and I was like, oh, let's watch this. And we watched like two or three episodes, and then it went away, and we had to get Showtime. So we did. And we watched through the whole two seasons in a relatively short amount of time for us. We kind of burned through it. And it's not a documentary of the book. It's not about the real people, although like all the people in it, they talk about real people in it, even though the people in it aren't real. Who's in it? Of, who's in it? Again? Melissa Every, Leo's in it. Melissa Leo as Goldie, but she's Mitzi basically Mi- is no, but, amazing. There's tons of people in it. There's someone in that that I like a lot. The girl whose name is completely escaping me right now. The, the lead of the car. Oh, uh, Nick Lacey. 
is one of the comedians in it. He's excellent. From um, who was in that show? High Fidelity. Though? And the other guy who is sort of the one of the male leads is actually a comedian. Oh, Clark Duke. Clark Duke. Clark Duke is very funny in that. And then also, what's his name from um, William Miller, the 11-year-old version, who's in a lot of things now, including The Nick, which we talked about before, who's a really good actor. Like, he's kind of surprisingly excellent uh, actor. You know, and over two seasons, it goes through a bunch of really good character plot lines. I think the things that are best about it is that it's really well acted. I mean, Melissa Leo is kind of incredible in everything she does, but she is great in this. And she sounds exactly like my Aunt Mary. And it was freaking me out. <laughs> and then, you know, besides that, it's really funny. It's clearly like a show. Like, you know, where we, we'd always use the Studio 60 thing where, like, they get to the sketches and they weren't that funny. Right. But the stand-up in the show is funny. And the people you know, hanging around with each other are really funny. Like, they're busting on each other after they go to, you know, Cantor's after the show, which was a real thing that would happen. And, like, genuinely really funny, but also all the comedians are completely fucked up people. You know, and there's drug addictions and all sorts of stuff. And if there's anything about it that I would sort of take away from it is that there's times when the comedy feels too contemporary. I was like, people weren't telling jokes like that then. Right. Other than that, like, I, Connor, I know you have shows. Like, it's a great show, and, and it's just on, like nobody watched it. Like, nobody watched it. Uh, yeah, I remember the time I had it. I had Showtime. I've had Showtime for years because of Homeland and Billions. Yeah. And I remember thinking about it or watching yeah. maybe the first one and not liking it. I remember not watching it. It came out right after Twin Peaks was on, Connor. And I that remember because I, yeah. I had Showtime because of Twin Peaks. I was like, oh, I'll watch that. And I never watched it because I like Clark Duke. John Daly is also in it. And Josh, yeah. John Daly was the annoying guy, sub pop guy in the Postal Service video. Oh, recently. right. Yeah. And I just he, made that connection. Yeah. He's one of the like more. He's just kind of a silly character. Like he doesn't really have another. You know, like like most of them are, are three dimensional. He's kind of not, but there's also there are people like that. Brad Garrett on the second season also is really wonderful. Is sort of just an an aging, failing, angry comedian of an earlier generation. Really great stuff. Related though is I almost put it on the list is the Comedy Store documentary that's on mm-hmm. Showtime right now, which yeah. is about basically the real events, written and directed by Mike Binder. I mean, another I, scab. Three episodes have come out as of this recording. Yes. It's the mecca. I don't, I don't want to get into it. It's just the mecca of comedy at the time. So you know, and everyone's in that documentary is still alive, and it's crazy, and it's really good. So if you're all at all interested in that, it's like a nice bookend. I think you have the fictionalization yeah. of the story, and then the documentary series about the real events. And they're both yeah. they're both Showtime. I couldn't tell you which one would be better to go first, but either way, like you can get Showtime in a bunch of places for like a week or two free, and then it's like I don't know, like these are great shows, and then and then yeah, the the comedy store one's really good. By the way, Howie Mandel kills in that thing. He's very I don't funny. Know why. He, he, I know he, he is. He has the whole like shticky thing, with, and you know he's a judge of yeah. talent shows professionally. But he was a legitimate oh, yeah. stand-up legend at the time. Yeah, no, and, and like I remember watching his special a ton when I was a kid. But like I just haven't seen him be funny in a while, and he's super fucking funny. Yeah. So is Letterman and everything. But yeah, yeah. Somebody go. I talked. You have another show. You have two. You have two. I do right in a row, huh? Yeah, yeah. that's how it works. Remind me what it was. It was Long way up. Long way up, exactly. So, Linz and I were also really big fans of the Ewan McGregor, Charlie Borman documentary series uh, before it was Long Way Round and Long Way Down, um, where they sort of took long motorcycle rides. And so they said they were coming back to do another series, and we were very excited about it. It was on Apple TV+. And the deal is is that they're going to be going from the very bottom of South America and riding up all the way to Los Angeles on motorcycles. Except this time they're electric motorcycles. And for the first two episodes, first of all, the first episode was dumb as shit because it was just all production problems. And I was like, I don't care. And the second one was, where are we going to plug these motorcycles in? And I thought, this is not going to be fun to watch for the whole time. Push through it and we get to the part where they're actually on the travel part. You know, and it's less about where are we going to plug in our motorcycles because they, I think they rightly decided maybe we can't make this the entire show. And they start going into places again and you, and you start to like hang out with the people more like last time. And you, you sort of like you get to go to, I don't know why everyone doesn't love Ewan McGregor. He's the most charming bastard on earth, you know, and you see different places and the, the photography is beautiful and there's these amazing places. But it gets better and better as it goes along as they go further up into South America and they're not worried so much about their electric bikes. There's a little bit of that reality show thing where they don't have a ton to say sometimes. It's like, I just I can't believe we're in Machu Picchu. I really can't believe we're in Machu Picchu. But overall, I feel like it's, it's worth the time. And it is one of those things where 
you get to see a lot of the world, but we probably don't get to see a lot. It's amazing landscapes and sort of just places as they're driving along at like 13, 14,000 feet elevation for days at a time. And it looks like a desert. It's just the strangest place to look at on earth. And, you know, they've got to find a place to stay and there's just nothing there. I really liked it so far. And there's more to go. It comes out weekly, so I don't have to watch it all at once. I'm surprised you wouldn't want to talk about the right stuff. I will. I'm not done. Okay. It's, only three, okay. it's only three episodes in, so I want yeah. to go further. I know. I just I'm I'm I, I'm three episodes in as well, and so I yeah. was yeah. So cool. All right. Um. Yeah. No. I've heard good things about this. A good good friend of ours was telling me about it. Uh, how much she was enjoying it as well. Uh, I was I, never, I was not sold at first. They really like yeah. we were about to quit. I haven't watched any of this before. I knew it existed, and I love Will McGregor, but I, I, I just don't have time for the for driving motorcycles around. Great, you're rich. Cool. It's not like that. It's, no, in I fact, know. I know. You can take the time off to go like, ride a motorcycle across the world. There is that. But, like, there's a bit where he's down, like, they go and they meet all these kids in Chile or whatever. He's like, I'm an actor. Like, or do you know anything you're in? He's like, Star Wars? Like, no. And he goes, I have no idea who I am. <laughs> it's funny. So, we've been in the middle, and I talked about this before, of our rewatch of Psych. And it's going to be a while. It's 120 episodes plus two films. And we're nearing the end of season five, and we just, Ron, finished watching the Twin Peaks tribute episode, Dual Spires, last night. Ah, so, so that's where we are. We're near the end of season five. It's a lot of fun. It's funny, but it's just, it's slow going. <laughs> Great. Enjoyable, but it's going to take a while. So there's some TV that's been coming back, and Josh and I alluded to uh, the Comedy Store documentary on Showtime. And on Showtime is also The Good Lord Bird, which is a seven-episode miniseries based on the book by James McBride about John Brown, the abolitionist. Potawami John Brown. So at the time of recording, three episodes have come out. It's a seven-episode miniseries. And what's interesting is... Oh, this is the Ethan Hawke thing, right? Ethan Hawke's first TV show. So that's part of what's interesting is that this was promoted last year, and it's had its premiere date pushed several times because of the current climate. It is a show about the lead into the Civil War. John Brown, if you don't know was a rabid abolitionist. He was against slavery, and he led a small army against slave owners, leading to a Harper's Ferry disaster, which... It was Ohio. was the Potawatomi River Massacre, and he was in Kansas. He was in a bunch of places. It was a lot of years before Harper's Ferry. Right. And that sort of is an unofficial kickoff of the Civil War. So very in tune of what's going on now. The problem, I think, from Showtime's point of view, and not for me, but for probably what they were thinking, is that it's a very irreverent show. It's, I would say, tonally similar to a Tarantino film. And so I can imagine they were a little weary about putting a show about slavery out that is somewhat funny. <laughs> We've even gotten to the part in the show when David Digg shows up as Frederick Douglass, who's apparently portrayed as very vain and fame-hungry. So I can imagine their consternation about whether or not we put out this prestige show starring one of the great actors who's never done TV before in this particular environment. But I've been enjoying it. It's not terrific, but I think it's really good. And I think Ethan Hawke is great. I think he's always great. But the show is interesting. It's a total fictionalization that deals with real events, but it follows a character. So, I mean, called yes, it sort of. But, like, that guy was... There's not a lot of guys like him in history. It's a, no, no, I mean the, really... the character. Like, Onion's a fake character. Like, the, those yeah, parts yeah, yeah. are all... The main character is sort of not even Ethan Hawke. It's not really about John Brown, He's sort of you're you're traveling with him and you in, in his in his retina news. It's about this kid. I guess he was a freedman. I don't think he was a slave. And John Brown is in like a little you know town store, and and the guy as a hair cutter. They get in a fight with somebody, and the guy gets killed, and his son is left over, uh, and he's like a young like an adolescent. And John Brown is convinced that he's a girl, and so. The kid just is like, I'm with the white man. He has to tell me what to do and puts the dress on. And so now everybody through the rest of the show think that he's a girl. Yeah. And that's who tells the story of the show. He literally narrates it. It's a weird show, but I love, you know, like it, that it's again, we, we talk about like there's all of the stuff that I've never seen stories of. I've seen stuff from the Civil War. I've seen stuff from, you know, the Revolutionary War in 1812, 1850s before the Civil War, that sort of antebellum period. Mm hmm. That's really, from this point of view especially, is really interesting. I love period pieces, so it's pretty good for that. And, and like, you're not wrong. Ethan Hawke is, is amazing. You don't think it's Ethan Hawke. You, you don't. Well, and the thing about John Brown in real life and also portrayed here was a lunatic, messianic, homicidal maniac. And yes. so it's like the perfect part for someone who really wants to dig their teeth in. So he, yeah. he gets to play all the emotions and all the yelling 
and all the spitting and all the beheading. And he's great. And the thing is, the, the unfortunate thing is, when he's not on screen, it kind of drags a little bit. But mm-hmm. it, they're getting a ton of great character actors to come in and do one episode here or there. Steve yeah. Zahn, <laughs> people later on in the cast list who haven't shown up yet. But I'm looking. David I'm really Diggs. looking forward to David Dix coming on as Frederick Douglass. There's not a lot of new prestige stuff on right now, and this is one of the only things on in, in that regard. And I think it's a lot of fun and interesting. And it doesn't treat slavery lightly, even though they're, they're just, it can be a jokey no. show. The events that are serious are treated that way. Yeah, I think, you know, because so much of it isn't from the point of view of the white characters, I think that helps with that a lot. Because, you know, the the idea is, you know, at the time, it was people just living their lives as they were, as it existed. And so their perspective of it was going to be different. I I thought that part's handled really pretty well. I like it a lot. It's enjoyable. And it's a seven-episode miniseries. There's a lot of interesting things happening in Showtime. This episode's brought to you by Showtime. Well, apparently, it doesn't get the buzz that <laughs> HBO does. And if it doesn't do nearly the same level of work that HBO does, but it's mm-hmm. it has good shows. Who owns Showtime again? CBS. CBS. Yes. Viacom. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Showtime Plus to come out or Showtime Now. Well, when I got Max. I got it over, I got it on Apple TV, and I have, and I was like, wait, why do I have CBS All Access now? Because it's just part of that yeah. package. Yep. Ooh. To you CBS All Access now. Interesting. Perfect segue <laughs> to Ron's show. I know generally we, we wait until we're all done with it, but I was so A, excited, and B, impressed by the first episode. I wanted to talk about on CBS All Access, and Josh, it's a perfect time for you to jump on. First episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery recently aired. At the time of this recording, I've only seen one episode. Why it's, would I jump onto that? <laughs> because it's good. Star Trek Discovery, A, I'm excited because it's just something new. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, just something you know. Like, but B, what got me was that w- the way they ended season two. I don't want uh, reboot is too heavy of a of a thing, but it's like it's a brand new paradigm, right? Not to spoil anything too much, but the end of season two f- has the main character Michael Burnham, she and the Discovery go through a wormhole far into the future and you don't know where you know and and season three episode one starts with michael coming out of the wormhole and the adventure just goes from there it's just like in the great grand star trek tradition like okay here we go like don't have to worry about what's what's past you which get is it, what you we know. said the show should have been from the very beginning yes. agreed agreed and i love the idea of the concept of discovery because discovery as a ship in the first and second season both really tapped into the idea of discovery as a, as a concept, you know, with the second season with the spore leaping, or it was the first and second season, wasn't it? Yep. The, the little flippy around spore teleportation thing that it could do, that led to a bunch of different discovery, including the mirror universe and things like that. The idea of the discovery concept of the far future of a thousand years in the future is just is great and you're disoriented things are vaguely familiar but they're different and it's that it's all that great little touches of sci-fi in that you're discovering it as the main character is discovering it as well too and the first episode just got me and we haven't even seen the rest of the cast yet or or the ship or any of that stuff like and, and the first episode i just thought was a really really solid good first episode connor did you watch it yet or i haven't watched it yet Oh, but so good. I'm looking forward to it. You and our friend Mike Romo both love it, so I'm looking forward to it. Once we spin up our Star Trek Discovery podcast, then we'll right. be talking about it on a weekly basis. So yeah. Trexplode. So. <laughs> Trexplode, here it comes. The Star Trek Discovery season three is just starting, so hop on board. And then finally just because I've been desperate for anything new. And then, A, I knew this was coming out, and I forgot about it, so I'm on, I am got on board a little late. I'm about halfway through. It's a completed docuseries that ran on HBO or HBO Max, where I watched it. It's called The Vow. Those longtime listeners of iFanboy know that both Connor and I were huge uh, Smallville fans. And when the news broke that Allison Mack, who played Chloe on Smallville, was part of some bizarre sex cult, we immediately took notice. And the Nexium story unfolded over the past few years. This uh, docuseries tracks several people who were in Nexium and were kind of key players in the unraveling of it, including the woman who played Baru in the prequels. Which what? I f- isn't one of the actresses from 
Battlestar Galactica also involved? Oh, a whole a whole bunch yeah. of them. Like they, there was an enclave in Vancouver, mainly you know that you meet the woman who worked in television, who was working up in Vancouver, who introduced it to all the cast of BSG, the cast of Smallville, like all those shows that were filming there in that time period. Grace Park was in Nexium. What's her face with the with the bulgy eyes? Yeah, the, oh. the mechanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? she ended up marrying Allison Mack like in real life to get American citizenship. Like, it's just fucking bizarre. It ends up being fucked up and sad, sad. but it it just became like this bizarre, like, wait, what kind of story for a while? What's fascinating about this is that the main people that you meet early on in it is this guy who was in Nexium for 12 years and turns out was a filmmaker. So they had tasked him to document what was going on. And so we're watching this and it's all stuff that happened. It's footage of the Keith Raniere, the, 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 the cult leader and the other people like in like during the time period that they're talking about. So it's not people just talking about what happened to them and there being recreations or just like, like slow pan and zooms on photos. There's footage and you're just like, how the hell did they get all this footage? It's like, Oh, he's a, he's a filmmaker. He was filming the whole time. And so they, they, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's totally this kind of like postmodern, documentary approach where like they were documenting what was going on without even knowing they were doing it which i find fascinating from a storytelling standpoint so these docuseries filmmakers got their hands on all this footage he's cooperating with them they're providing interviews they're giving context but like phone calls are recorded you know video of events like all this sort of stuff so they can truly illustrate the story of what had happened and it's just it's just it's just been riveting so far it's just fat it's fascinating it gets and it does get really dark and it does get really sad and it's really like it's people getting brainwashed and having their lives ruined this guy lost 12 years of his life to this way of thinking and it's just like it's crazy so if you're curious about it it's the vow on hbo max it's hour-long episodes each it is well done so I, i recommend it we want to talk about one show before we get to our main topic, and that's because we all watched it and want to discuss it. And I have a couple of preliminary questions before we get into it. But we're going to talk about a West Wing special to benefit when we all vote, which was the much-heralded West Wing reunion on HBO Max. And if you saw, there was a, the, apparently the subscriber rate shot through the roof for HBO Max for this. The original cast of the West Wing was reunited to recreate Hartsfield's Landing, one of the early episodes, on stage. Without an audience, obviously. And... Much ballyhooed. And Ron, you watched The West Wing? Yeah, I watched it all. Josh, were you aware of this? Yes. He watched it. You... He started watching it at the gym. Yes. It was when I lived I in San I Francisco. About yeah, that. I forgot I, Yeah, this is like 2000, uh, 2010, 2011, 2012. Yeah, it was like after there. me. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, hmm. did. Did you watch the whole thing? I've watched every episode of The West Wing. Some so episodes watched all seven times. seasons. Because Connor yeah. has only watched through four. You know, no, no, I'm, I'm, yes, I finished it all. Sorkin and I left together. We cleared out our offices and we left. Nice. And my lovely wife is a huge West Wing fan and a huge yeah. West, Wing, West Wing Weekly fan. And she went to the West Wing Weekly Live and wow. I was supposed to go, but I had to work. But yeah, it was. Uh, so her question must have been the same as mine. Which was? What did Josh Molina do to piss off HBO? <laughs> <laughs> because I don't think this happens without that podcast. I don't no, think that's true at all. No, I don't think that's true at all. I don't, I, I don't know. Like all that no. cast all started talking to each other, and like, if you they've been to friends that, the entire time, they show up on each other's shows every every time somebody has a show. Like they've been they've been tight the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Josh Molina's doing. So this is. I mean, this is one of my all time favorite shows. And I think Josh's as well. It's my favorite show. Number one of all time. Okay, that's totally fair. Fascinating. It's a great show. Don't get me wrong. This is not one of those things where I watch and I just and I make fun of you guys. Like, no, I I loved it too. It's I mean, I'm a huge Bradley Whitford fan because of it. So you know, the trailer came out and I watched it and I I thought to myself, oh man, is this going to be a Han Solo running down the bridge scenario? Like, do I want to see everyone with white hair? You know, I want to see all my heroes go old. But obviously, other than the genetic freak that is Rob Lowe. Watching it again was like someone dipped me into a warm bath and then fed me my favorite snack while fanning me. It was so good, and everyone was so good. And Martin Sheen is eighty years old, and you would not know it. So good, so good. Everyone Although he is oddly right shaped, into those he's oddly shaped now. Well, you're eighty years yeah. old, and despite the fact that they're all nineteen years older, or even older than that, you know, from the time they did the first episode, so over twenty years older than they did they were. Everyone slipped, and also. Dulé Hill got much more buff. <laughs> he looks amazing. They all slipped right back into it, and they all had the chemistry that they were famous for. They had the cadence. They had everything. And I think 
the unsung hero of this, and I talked to Josh about it, is Tommy Shalami, the director. Holy God. Made this incredible visual spectacle out of a show filmed on a stage. Like, not a TV studio, like a stage, like a theater. The camera moved. Interesting framing. He used 360-degree angle. Characters would sort of disappear into the wings. Like, it was so... And they they used sparse sets to just give you a sense of where they were in rooms. It was so interesting. I did spend a, a, a significant amount of time after watching this thinking about how they did it, like yeah. the order that they shot things in, because they didn't shoot it like a play. Like they right. obviously they shot it like a TV show where they did setups and all this yeah. sort of stuff, and, and knowing what we know about production. But like, and the moment that they interspersed footage from the show towards mm-hmm. the end, mm-hmm. completely, I was like, whoa, they really recreated the set. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, it's from the yeah. show, right? Like, I was like, yeah. they found that CRT TV and found that footage. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> And I love that they had all the small side character actors come back for their, you know, yeah. their, their little one-liners. Like this was a thing done from the heart. And also, Sterling K. Brown stepping in for um, Leo, Leo, John Spencer, John Spencer, who died. He was great. He's always great. But like, it was, oh, it just made me so happy. I'm gonna have to rewatch it again. The thing about the direction of it, I think, that was really fascinating is that they were on this stage, and but it wasn't shot like a stage. So when you it wasn't you like Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah, it was like that, right? Although there were some shots from behind on Hamilton, but still, it was all over the place. Basically, there was no direction because there was no audience. But what's really interesting, and I think that has to do with sort of the consistency of the lighting, especially mm-hmm. from the Shlama years, is that it, because of that alone, I mean, the faces and the voices and everything, but you put yourself in the scene. Basically, you had this persistence of memory where, like you'd lose the fact that you were on the stage. You know, like, it just felt like the West Wing set. They use spotlights on the show, you yeah. know, in a way that stage lighting happens. So that, I, I didn't even think about that until yeah, you just said it. Those visual clues of the glow uh, of yeah. light that comes up from below them, which actually, if you watch I'm Dying Up Here, there's a ton of that. And I, maybe Tommy Shlami directed the first episode, I think, if I'm, I'm going back. But, yeah, it's just that it's very specific lighting. It's like when you talk about the lighting in The Godfather or something like that. Well, the West Wing lighting, you know, that all came through here. And just that fluid movement of the camera as it's going around it just really was like being just that and i like basically i just kept finding myself i wasn't super excited about watching it because i was a little scared on solo yeah yeah, I yeah and i just was like i don't want to be disappointed by this thing and the fact that they did an episode that already existed i think was a pretty strong choice i think mm-hmm. it's ep season three episode yeah. eight yeah. something like that as soon as it started you know, like they'd start talking and I was like, holy shit, it's still them. I mean, yeah. and I think Bradley Whitford is Josh Lyman for the most part. <laughs> but, you know, Alice and Janney being CJ and just all of them. And the reminder of Sorkin. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The reminder of the music of that dialogue and the fact that they are able to recreate it in that years later and not miss a beat and just from the different cadence of a cj to a toby to a sam you know what i mean like as a fan it was really something it was enjoyable as a call to action to get the vote out i do find it kind of funny because i I always said to my wife i was just like you think anybody watching this is isn't gonna vote and was like not only that probably has already voted literally yeah (laughs) literally anyone interested in watching that has already finished right exactly i mean like i get it i think it's good and also so I, I just I take issue with, you know, you're doing this, this. You're all coming together with this great, you know, kind of message to get the vote out on the streaming service that costs fifteen dollars a month to watch. Like, you know, like, it, you know, but they work with how they how that you work with how they work or whatever. But again, I also think anybody who's paying for HBO Max probably is voting, you know, like it's but that's another discussion for another time. Any super fan of the West Wing has voted the first moment they've been able to vote. Yeah, and the the bits, you know, the interstitial bits about voting though, even those are pretty. The Lin yeah. Manuel Miranda one was really good. Well, I was gonna say, like, of course Lin shows up. Like, of yeah, no, of course, course he does. But it was funny. Yeah, yeah. you know, Janelle Maloney, uh, just it, they all just slid back into it, and it was so, it was so satisfying. I just kept laughing. You know, like when they do a joke, or you know, then you get to that scene uh, near the end where. Toby and President are having it out, you know, and and, and yep. Toby does that thing where he's like, "Do not, do not, do not be plain spoke," and it's just like yeah. that Sorkin magic of, and that's yeah. one of my favorite lines from that whole thing. It's, it makes it into sort of poetry as opposed to just dialogue. Yeah, it was it was it was so joyful. It was such a good feeling. I mean, you don't want to prescribe motivations to people you don't know, but it just seemed like they were all having like the time of their life being back together. And I listened to the episode of the Rob Lowe podcast that Sorkin was on to promote this and it seemed like it i mean the stories they were telling from the set and, I, and it, rob Lowe had an interesting discussion about how 
he had a little bit of trouble because he was so much older than Sam now. You know, Sam is a, is a relatively young character amongst these characters. And so he was, you know, the bright-eyed idealist amongst all of them. That was, I'd say, the closest thing I got to having a problem. It wasn't a problem, but there's the bit where president is doing the thing with the chessboard he's basically mm. schooling him and they cut to sam and sam was the you know the young friend he wasn't even that old then he was early 30s mid 30s maybe right. he looked great and he still looks great but i was like he doesn't look like the young ingenue now right like, and that was, was his thing was he had trouble sort of getting in the mind space of of that but eventually yeah. he did but he's like that was my biggest challenge was i can I'm see so that. much older than sam was at this point and so it's i'm adult totally different person i mean the joke around my house now is you know because so many people signed up to watch is and and they teased it and it was in this episode that the, now they need to come back for the Sam runs for president prestige miniseries. It would be fantastic. I I, I did have the thought that like because we we were talking about this before when we were planning the show whether we talk about it on this show or if we talk about it later on and like the fact that this is like a little one off is all thing but like honestly if they did more episodes like this I would watch I I would rewatch the series re- like reshot like this <laughs> like it'd be a blast. I, I was blown away. It was visually yeah. I was not expecting that and I I almost thought man imagine other stage shows that were shot like this. Yeah, you know, imagine Hamilton looking like this with a camera that can move around the entire set. Like it would be really interesting. Yeah, but you know, if you're a West Wing fan, it it's a must watch. I think, and also if you're not a West Wing fan, if you've never seen it before, or even if you're just a theater person, like it's really worth yeah. seeing for a lot, I mean, a lot you, of. You levels. don't need to know anything about the show. This episode, then they chose a good episode. This episode, there are links to past episodes that you don't need to know about. You get the sense that Toby and the president are fighting. Fine, go. You know, like they present everything. You know, the, the conceit of the episode with the voting at Hartsfield Landing. They explain it. Like it is a good episode to just drop in, having never watched anything. Dixfield Notch. <laughs> so that takes us to our main point of topic this this evening this night thing we've been we've been excited to talk about for a month now the phenomenon the phenomenon that is apple tv plus's ted lasso and i'm hoping i'm hoping that if you listen to this conversation you haven't seen it you don't have apple tv plus you'll check it out because probably of all the streaming services i would be, venture to guess this one has the least amount of subscribers i have no idea well yeah they're panicked I mean, i'll the, tell you the, the, the extension you. to february shows that apple's panicked i'll tell you so. right now if you're listening to this and you're not sure, it's a free seven-day trial. You get through the show without paying for it. And yeah. if you don't, it's five bucks for a month. It's and, and not just to break, a lot. And just to break it down, we're talking about ten episodes, half-hour episodes. Yeah. So you could bang and, this out in a weekend. And if you do happen to go to the month, there's other really good Tom stuff. Tom Hanks, Mythic Quest. There's, the, there's Greyhound. Yeah. There's Mythic Quest. There's um, I really like and, For All Mankind. I love that show. If you need – if you need how I got – because as we all know, I'm, this is my least favorite streaming service of them all because it's impossible to watch if you're not dialed into the Apple ecosystem. When I bought a new Mac Mini a year ago, I unbeknownst to me, I got it for free. <laughs> and uh, those free annual subscriptions are all coming to an end in November and Apple recently extended that until the end of February because clearly they're panicked everyone's going to cancel. This is not a show about Apple, but I will say that they probably did it for the same reason most of them are doing it. It's because there's nothing coming. They haven't been able to sure. shoot anything for a year. So sure. there's nothing to re-up. Again, I started off saying this is probably the least subscribed to service. However, they don't have a second season of Mythic Quest. They don't have a second season. Like, there's nothing coming for a while. For your money, though, if, if you went on for a month, there is plenty fine. of good stuff to watch. This like, is not there, a show about really Apple TV+. Plus. We'll, no, we're just yeah. trying to get so you to watch Ted Lasso. Yeah. So Ted Lasso is, okay, the character of Ted Lasso, played by Jason Sudeikis, premiered as a joke character on NBC Sports because they got the Premier League rights in America. And so they, went, they did some promos, and they made this character called Ted Lasso, who was an American football coach. Coaching who knew nothing about soccer. Nothing about soccer. So that was sort of the joke in the promos. So then when they announced the show, I was like, the character from those promos? They're doing a show about him? You were familiar with that. Yeah, because I I watch Premier League sometimes, and I love Jason Sudeikis. And I was really holding off on watching it. I had Apple TV+. Then I started seeing people talk about it. People I knew and respected. I would point out our friend Tom Merritt was the first one I saw talking about it. Yeah. There was one day in the middle of some other long rewatch. And we've talked a lot about how we love the 30-minute shows here. We were in the middle of some hour-long rewatch, hour-long episode rewatch, and we had like 45 minutes, and I was like, I'm just going to put this show on. And there was some pushback. Don't start another show in the middle of, a, of the show we're watching. And I said, eh, just put it on for 20 minutes. We plowed through five episodes like within the first 24 hours. Yeah, I love this show so much that I wish I could go back and watch it again for the first time. 
I share that feeling. We did, we didn't watch as we don't plow through the way other people do. Like we like to space it out. Be, you know, we'll we'll watch a show one night. Well, it's important to note it was a weekly night. release. So I think we watched well, all the ones we could watch, and then we watched five every week after that. Right, but I will say that this was the kind of show, much like when Cobra Kai first came out, where after the after the first and second episode, we're like, "How is this so good?" Yes, like how like like this show shouldn't be as good as it is based off the the, the log line or or the description. This is so good, we, and it got to the point where we were just like the time between watching episodes got smaller and smaller, which is an indicator of how much we both loved the show. It was just great. Well, my wife, the first episode was watching it over her like she had her laptop out, she was working, and I, I was watching it. And then by the end of it, she had it closed, and then yeah. she was like, "Let's watch the next one." And Josh, I'm gonna let you go in one second. I think the thing is. It's the show for the times. It's the yes. show we need right now because it's about how it's better to be nice. Be a good person and the people around you will flourish and the people around yep. you will have a better life. And amongst all the ugliness in the world from every corner of the galaxy, it makes you feel really good about people. And it's incredibly well-written and funny and heartfelt, and there's some really interesting things that happen. Characters are much more complicated than you think in the beginning. But at the heart of it, it's about being a nice person. And that's so edgy in this moment to make a show about that, when every show is about an anti-hero or someone who is terrible but has a heart of gold. It's just about a really nice person. Perhaps the nicest person ever on television. Yeah, you guys had mentioned it. We we mentioned it quickly on one of these quarantine streaming yep. bits. And, uh, you know, I had noticed it, but I didn't really know what it was. And so I wasn't super drawn to it. And I started watching it. I watched it with, with my wife on the first one, and she wasn't super into it uh, immediately. And so she dropped off, and that's when I sort of took off on my own, and I watched most of it. I think I got to, like, there was two to go. So I had to wait for those to come out. You didn't bring her back? You said you were going to bring her back in. Well, that was that's what I was going to say is that you said, I wish I could watch it again. And she, I was like, you need to watch it. She's like, you already did. I was like, I'll watch it again. Don't <laughs> don't you worry about that for a second. Just to be with, you know, like, and I, it's funny because I don't know if she'll be as charmed by it. So I'm interested to see because mm-hmm. I totally was. And, and, and I you think have to also be in the right is, mindset. If you're not, well, you know, I'm not saying your wife's not. I'm just saying some people wouldn't like like the tone of it. No, I no, I think that's that's correct. But also, like, you know, I'm very familiar with British TV, so that part of it didn't weird me out at all. Like, I was able to get in with sort of who all those characters were. I've seen that before. By tone, I mean like it's about niceness. And so, if, yeah, if you're no, a really cynical person, and and again, your yeah. wife is not a super cynical. But if you're yeah. out there, and you're everyone sucks. The, the world sucks. I'm super cynical. You're probably not going to respond to the show. But and I, and I, and it, I think it's important to note that, you know, and, and Connor, you're absolutely right. It's about niceness and all stuff. And Sudeikis is main character. Like there is a there is a vulnerability to this mm-hmm. character. Like when the show first starts, he's this, you know, kind of larger than life, you know, Midwestern, Southern esque football coach and with the mustache and you have and, and the hokiness and you kind of have the thing. And they just and the writing is so tactful in that they funny no no but they well we'll get to the humor in a second but the the writing is so tactful in that they just give you glimpses of who he really is in the first few episodes right just little little moments where you're like oh this isn't just you know fun football coach doesn't know soccer this has got heart this is about emotions and like and then mixed in with a ton of really fast snappy comedy stuff that i was laughing about days after watching the episode you know like oh god it's so good the one thing that i would sort of i think it's just the way that you phrased it is that it's not an insincere character he's he's not he's not not, not not a secret behind him when you say like there's the real him or whatever like the thing is, is that it's completely sincere, and I think the part that is best about that is that he never gets played as a joke through that. No. Right. That yeah. the joke isn't that and how they all think he's silly. They try to think the he's silly. The people who think he's silly are the ones that are right. portrayed that and way. And it's about artifice and you know trying to be cool and trying to appear a certain way, and he's got none of that. Yeah. And that would, it makes me want to be a better person. Yeah. And it's a yeah. fake show. And that's the best. And, that's the best and, thing about it. Yes. honestly. And and the other thing that got me about it was that as the show continued through the ten episodes, which honestly, you know, Sudeikis is great, but the supporting no, the cast, supporting cast is terrific. Yeah, yeah. N- not only was the supporting cast so strong and so engaging, 
And, you know, even the, the prima donna player you're supposed to hate, I oh. found myself missing when he wasn't on as much. And then the old veteran who was, <laughs> you know, kind of, you know, whatever, by almost in a Seinfeldian way that the, the show blossoms into like more plot lines than I could keep counting for. Like there's the main, the team, and then there's Jason Sudeikis's characters, you know, kind of personal life. But then you've got this plot line going over here and this one going over here. Like, and it all, inter- it, it all got woven in together in such a, you know, in a 30, 30 minute kind of way. I give it that credit that they were able to give every bit player an arc, which is not an easy thing to do. Like they could have just leaned on Sudeikis and the comedy around that, but they spread it out amongst the entire cast, which is, which is also a, uh, an accomplishment. So the premise, the plot is that Ted Lasso and his assistant coach, coach beard are hired uh, out of their football program. I think it's like a division two program. He wins the championship. Yeah. And he was basically the star of a viral video yeah, dancing for, for to, dancing with his team. And yeah. so he gets hired AFC Richmond. Is that the team? Yes. AFC yeah. Richmond in London, the team that's owned by this woman named Rebecca who just got divorced from her husband. Who's an asshole. She was the shame nun from game of Thrones. And she's hired Ted Lasso to in, in much like major league drive this team into the ground and destroy the one thing that her ex-husband loves in this world. And that's the setup premise is this guy's coming over here. He thinks he's got this strange opportunity to coach a, f- a football team that's not American football. And meanwhile, he's being subverted from inside. And what's happened is you got the prima donna young stud player. You have Roy, the old veteran who's at the end of his rope. You've got the girlfriend of the stud player. You've got the sort of sniveling uh, second in command to, to the owner who's interesting. You start meeting all these characters, and then the, and you start meeting like the other players who are great. The, the guy from Nigeria was one of my favorite smaller characters. He was so good. So, oh, he was so football good. is life. Huh? Uh, the football Mexican player. Yeah, that's the guy yeah. from Mexico. But yeah. I know. I just wanted to say it. I've been holding it. All these smaller characters, and they have little tiny bits of business that are great. And then there's the one guy at the end who becomes the captain. And I mean, that made me cry. So like, but... All these characters who are so dis- desperate, disparate and desperate also start coming together and mixing up in interesting ways. The, the girlfriend and the owner become best friends, and that's a great relationship. And then the girlfriend leaves the prima donna and de- start dating the veteran, and that becomes a problem, and, but also great. And all these different things start happening, and, and they start revealing character. Then you get Anthony Head as yep. the ex-husband who's just, who is a threatening force that, yep. hap- that rolls in and, and screws things up. And it's just like – and you have this great – you know, huge lie or distrust that the owner has and the reason for hiring Ted Lasso and having to deal with it. And just like it is done so well that by the end of the season, we were like, how did they do a second season? <laughs> right. Because it wrapped up and it like all kind of is, is in a neat bow. And like and now that we know who he is and we know the, the situation, how do you recreate the magic of this first season? I'll still watch, but I think it's going to be a tough. Listen, uh, we don't know tough. if anybody will ever shoot anything again, so right. it might not matter. And then you ha- I also want to mention Nathan, the guy who starts off as the equipment guy. So good. So good. Who is this incredible arc. He's this interesting, really interesting character, really funny actor played by Nick Mohammed who blossoms through the course of the season. I, I often think about that little meeting in, in Ted Lasso's office with Coach Beard, Ted Higgins and Nathan. And, it, and they had that club. Mm. What's it called? The diamond dog, the diamond dogs, diamond dogs. It's just this group of like nerds, you yeah. know, in, in their own way, they're all in their own way. These kind of dorky guys, but they have this cool club and eventually all these like alpha male soccer players want to get in on it. And there's so many great relationships just because they end up all buying into Ted Lasso's life philosophy as this, of course the show goes on. And it's great. And it's also full of sadness too. Like the episode where Ted has his panic attack a- after the divorce mm-hmm. was like heartbreaking. And It's a subversion yeah. in a lot of ways of those sort of sports movie and show tropes, except it isn't at the same time. I mean, like this is if Coach Taylor was really peppy. Right. It's, I mean, it's the same effect basically. It, it's funny because – we're talking about this show, and Ron, I've said you should watch Friday Night Lights, but the, I'd say that the feeling of this, of Ted Lasso's thing, the closest thing that I can think of is the feeling of Coach Taylor in that show. Like, Interesting. Very different approach. And also the football on Friday Night Lights is about as much the football in this show. It's like it's the football is the vehicle to, t- to meet the characters. Yeah, yeah, but. yeah. 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 But, but the thing about it, it that just gets me is just like it is – 
I don't know. It's like it's like you get invested in the team, but then also what happens is that you find a coach Lasso's philosophy is that it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's about making the players be the best they can be and the personal growth. And you even get that conflict of his assistant coach or his his supporting coach, Coach Beard, who like loses it. It's like no, sometimes it is about winning, and, you know. And like and and they they gave you great game moments from the sports stuff. Oh. Like uh, yeah, just yeah. Oh yeah, good. yeah. Oh. It's one of those things like people are like Josh. Why do you like sports movies and not sports? It's because sports are interesting, but only if, if I care about it. Right. Yeah. And I think in order to care about sports, you have to have like a team or a game. You have to invest a lot of time in doing so. So when you have this and it's fake, I know that. But like there's stakes behind it. And I get that real feeling that people who really love sports get. And it's the, it's the same thing. It's like the emotion is no different. I'm sure it just there's you know, it's fake. I mean, I, I cried three times in the final episode. I can see that. It was a terrific final episode, and, and Ron, I, I I know your concerns, but I mean they have a the team is put in a position now where they have they have a goal, you know. So there, sure, there's no, a reason to get, there's a thing to do next season. And now there's a lot of the great relationships are over. Yeah, where Kent's gone. I hope not. That guy was great. Oh, uh, the chant in the last in the he last. He's a writer. Game. He's, he's a writer. He's, he's a comedian. He's every fucking. That's where. weird. Roy Kent. Just a great chant. He's here. He's there. He's every fucking where. <laughs> I talked about it before on the show that it's a strange amalgam of America and British TV and it's, it was shot all in London on location. Yes. You know, almost all the whole cast is English and Bill Lawrence was one of the creators from the Scrubs yep. and Zach Braff directed the second episode and so it has a bit of that uh, mentality in it but also mixed with the British comedy mentality. It's it's just a very unique and heartfelt show. It's just I needed this so badly in the midst of pandemics and politics and war and famine. I needed this to feel good. And it really helped. Yeah, it's great. It's it's so so good. And I can't, you know, like and Josh is right. Sign up for Apple TV for the trial, and just you know, it's it's five hours of television. You can knock that out, and you'll be better off for it. And, and it is so engaging, and so like, and, and don't get me wrong. I'll give you I'll give you guys credit. Like, I've said it on the show before. Like Mythic Quest was great, but this has been the best, one of the best things I've watched in all of this quarantine period. It was so good. And it's not just heartfelt. It's very funny. I want to make that clear. Like, very, that, it wouldn't funny. work if it wasn't very, very, funny. very funny. There are jokes with layers joke, and reactions. Joke, 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 joke. Yeah, exactly. And like, and like, there was one. There was one episode where there was a Martin Scorsese joke that had a joke inside of a joke inside of a joke that was just like when the last thing happened. I think I had. The, I almost had to pause because I was laughing so hard. Like, oh, it was so good, so so good. One of my favorite side characters who got a whole episode to himself was Trent Crim, the Independent. Yes, and I yeah. was. I was trying to think of that name the whole time. I was like. Crimp, crim, and that episode where he—he's the reporter who follows Ted Lasso around for a day was terrific. That was one of the ones you really got to see a lot of stuff. And the moment I knew <laughs> that the show got Josh because Josh was live messaging us through Slack while watching it was was when you said he made the biscuits. Like that's the moment where you're just like, yep. oh shit. And then the then the, the the throwaway line when he leaves and he, when he's mad at her and he's like, I just nailed the recipe. And not telling her that he had been the one making the biscuits the whole time. Like it was so good. There yeah. was so uh. much good stuff in that. <laughs> I also love any scene where somebody's eating something that's way too hot. <laughs> so it's one of those things I love. <laughs> they're fighting through it, they're all sweaty. Oh, it's one of my favorites. So Ted Lasso's on Apple TV Plus. Uh, there are 10 episodes, and mm-hmm. they're half an hour each, like we said. Check them out if you haven't. It really, it really yeah. will make you feel good, and it's very funny. I think we have time for one email. Let's do it. We're going to keep it short, Josh. Pete D writes in and says, these questions are primarily for Josh. Oh. But I believe you all have record collections, so I'll be interested to hear everyone's preferences. He's got two questions. <sighs> Josh is now the record guy, by the way. We all have uh, records. I've been lugging vinyl around since high school, and Josh Ron, is the record guy. Ron, you're not on the show. They barely know you. <laughs> Question one. When shelving records that have plastic sleeves, do you slide the record in vertically or horizontally? I always slot um, them vertically so they slide it in out of a crowded shelf more easily, but I've noticed that almost all used record stores have them slotted horizontally. Horizontally? Horizontally. Horizontally, and then the record inside is the the entrance is at the top of the inner sleeve. Whoa! What? No! What? Okay, so okay, okay. You're so you're looking you're looking at the record. Where does the record slide into the bag from the bottom of the record down into the bag, or into the bag from the left side? Into yeah, the, I, I think what he's bought, asking is, do you put the record in the sleeve, and then do you slide the record into the cardboard with the hole in the sleeve facing up or to the side that's what he's asking 
to, to the side. To the side. Yes, that's what I do as well. And then, but the, and the inner sleeve is facing up. Right. Right. So it can't roll out. Yes. No. No. Right, no. No. That's course. what I'm watching. You. You just. All right. What he's asking is, you have a record. You've got the. Yes. The you got the cardboard. The paper, the, the paper sleeve. And the paper sleeve. The with the hole up. He wants to know: Do you hold up or hold side? That's what he's asking. For the paper or for the pa- for, for the, the paper. cardboard in the for plastic. The paper, for the paper. He's asking for the cardboard in the plastic. No. Yes, he is. Re- I'm gonna read, read it again. Yeah, he is. When the shelving when shelving records of plastic sleeves, do you slide the record in? Slide it in right. vertically the or horizontally. Means the paper, the paper one to him. It's the same yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I always slot them in vertically, so you can slide them in and out of a crowded shelf more easily. But I've noticed almost all record stores have this have them slotted horizontally. Oh, like so you can flip through them and buy them? No, 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 no. This is facing this, out. This is this is a very complicated question. This is like a, this is like a math question. There would be poorly explained geometry. <laughs> it's it's like saying if you pulled your 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 cardboard record out of your thing, you could just reach in and pull the record out, be, out of the plastic sleeve because it's faced facing no, out. No, you That's can't do that because the record will come the, out, yeah. and you can't you, see what. Yeah, the the you, you don't know what it is. The, the you read it no, on the, the side. So I'm going to explain it right now. Record into the paper sleeve. Yes. Down. Okay. Paper it, it, down <laughs> downward vertical, then paper sleeved record. Into the cardboard album art cover, horizontally, the, into from the from the right side, from the right to right. the left, right, and then the um, record sleeve cardboard thing into the plastic bag in the same direction. Correct. Thank you. Yes. Also, replace that paper sleeve, or or use a plastic. Well, um, hold on. That's the second paddle. question, Josh. Yeah. What's your policy on using new paper sleeves? I, I have quite a few old like. records with, which either don't have interior paper sleeves when I got them or whose paper <gasps> sleeves were badly deteriorated. I have a case of modern lint-free sleeves that I put these records in, but it does feel a little blasphemous, like installing modern accessories in a classic car. Uh, it, it, it'll extend the life of your record. It's worth it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, you yeah. should do that. I, I, When possible, I'd like to put that plastic sleeve in the one that they have, like if it's like got graphics on it or whatever. Um. But or you can put it in not inside it, but just with it in the main sleeve, I guess. Yeah. yeah but always, I always, I have a stack of like um, plastic anti-static sleeves that I replace all the paper ones as soon as I get them because they leave those little gunk all over the the record that you got to clean off. I will say though, in defense of not doing that, if you get an old record and the smell is pretty nice, that's true. I can't. Yeah. I, that's the same yeah. as old comic book smells. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, you just keep, but just keep that in there. Yeah, yeah, but sure. but don't don't risk the record for that smell. Yeah, it's not worth it. No, Connor, let's do one more email. Yeah, we have one more. This one's not really a question, but this isn't worth discussing. John Y from Staunton, Virginia. This is related to an episode we did previously. You've got Prime De Niro down, of course, but for me, you've just missed Prime Grodin. But I'm a little older than you. May I recommend Heaven Can Wait, 1978, by Warren Beatty and Buck Henry, starring them and others you'll appreciate, and also. Seems like old times, 1980 by Neil Simon with Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase. Part of the reason why I loved Midnight Run at the time is because it harkened back to Grodin as the ultimate second banana or third wheel, the, equi- the equivalent of Brian Dennehy as the go-to heavy for a good while. Seems like old times. There were a string of things like it, very light and silly, but Grodin makes it. You know how Bob Newhart's the king of underreaction? Movie-wise, it's Grodin. You'll love him in this. And Heaven Can Wait, I think Connor will especially enjoy. But I think Josh, too. The tone is so interesting between comedy and drama. Rye... Highly conceptual but grounded, unexpectedly poignant, brightly intellectual, darkly humorous, and ultimately good-hearted. Classic Beatty and Henry, but again, without Grodin, completely different movie. It's fair. I've seen Seems Like Old Times. It's very good. I feel uh, like I've seen Heaven Can Wait. I know that however many I'm sorry, I've seen Heaven Can Wait, not Seems Like Old Times. Right. I've, 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 when that Biskin book came out about Warren Beatty that I know that Connor and I read. Star. I went back and I, I watched some of the Beatty movies and I'll be honest, I didn't really get into them all that much outside of the stories of what was, what, you know, sort of went into the making of them. But that was long enough ago that I might have a different approach. I'd watch Heaven Can Wait again. I kind of don't even remember. I've never seen things like old times, but I would, I like Neil Simon and I like Goldie Hawn and I like Chevy Chase. Wow. That really does sound good. I think I've heard of that and never bothered watching it. That's, but a, that's, that's a killer lineup for 1970 whatever, yeah, or 1981. Yeah. All right. I, you got me on that one. Should we do one more? Yeah, let's do one more. Steve B. from Maryland. That thing you do was an inspired choice. I have a new it is. appreciation for Steve Zahn. 
though 24 years after the fact. With three kids stuck at home, I caved in and subscribed to Disney+. Plus. The first movie I watched was Hamilton. Spurred by, on by Hamilton, I rewatched HBO Max's John Adams, also a Play-Doh in production. Spurred on by that, after watching Paul Giamatti on John Adams, I then rewatched American Splendor. Bam! Full circle and back to comics. Where's Giamatti fall on the GDAT list? What's your hot take on American Splendor? Well, first off, are we allowed to talk about GDATs anymore? Or is the, the the book is closed, right? GDATs are the goddamn American treasures that we bestowed upon on our Patreon hangouts for patreon.com slash ifanboy if you want to hang out with us. Those are our most favored, delightful actors and actresses. I don't believe Jim Adi made the list. We closed the list. We closed the books. Can we uh, indulge him and, and discuss whether Paul Giamatti would have or sure, not? Sure, sure. I would say he's an American treasure. I don't know if he's a GDAT. He's, he's, I'd say that's correct. He's very close. I think yeah. I, I like him an awful lot. I, I he's great him. in everything. He's always love him. He is always great. Although he's been on billions, I guess, for a while now. So I've missed him in yeah. things. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in Slack today, which is like you like a actor and then they get a cushy TV gig and they're gone for four years. Or five well, only years. if you don't watch it. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you don't watch yeah, it. I've been show, watching. He's terrific. On it. Yeah. I don't watch billions. So like I don't get any, I don't get any Giamatti. I like Giamatti. The thing about Giamatti that makes him not a G dad is that there's a certain je ne sais quoi, pop culture, mass culture, element to you know tom hanks is the ultimate gdat right and while giamatti is great you know stop anyone on the street and say who is this not sure they're going to recognize him i don't uh, i mean I, would, I think the difference is that giamatti, i think that's what you should do tomorrow you should stop people on the street and <laughs> we can't talk to anybody on the street i think giamatti's he's a character actor yeah you know in that way and which is different than tom hanks he's not a character actor and it's just one of those things it's like a jk simmons yeah. Like I when think they we show have up character actors that, on GDAT list, though, don't we? I know. Yeah, we do. We do. If we're comparing it to, to Tom Hanks in terms of uh, um, people recognizing, recognizability, sure. I guess it's a different conversation. I just I, don't think I have no problem. I mean, he's, he's an American treasure. I think he's crazy. Yeah. There's no harm in being an American treasure. Not everyone is an American treasure. He's on the second level. Yeah. That's okay. He's great. He's always great. He's someone who elevates any, anything he's in. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. And American Splendor, I haven't honestly, I haven't watched since the year it came out. Yeah, so I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't I barely remember it. I, mean, I, I have I, watched it a couple of times. I love that movie. I think it's brilliant. It was one of the first of the comic book translations to movie that I think did a really good job of sort of taking that material and putting it into it, and like, and also having some of the comics idiom in it. Also, just wonderful acting in the thing. Like that guy is that is Robert Crumb to me now, even though. You, know. you mean Harvey Picar? No, Robert Crumb is in it. Oh, okay, the guy who played Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but like, I, I, you know, between that, what was the, what's the Crumb documentary called? Crumb. Okay, just Crumb. Yeah. Between the guy who played Crumb in that and the Crumb documentary, like, they're the same person to me. You know, in a way that Giamatti as Picar isn't. I can see Picar sitting on that couch with Letterman. It is not exactly the same thing. It isn't to say it isn't enjoyable or whatever. It's great. Yeah. Uh, James Urbanite. Urbanite. Urbaniac. Yeah. Urbaniac. Yeah. Can I depress the both of you? Oh, uh, no. American Splendor is 17 years old. Oh, yeah. No, I was aware of that. Uh. That's actually, 2003 is actually my line. Everything from 2003 forward is new. Everything <laughs> from 2003 back is old. Interesting. And so that's right on that line. That's yeah. almost a generation ago. It's the transatlanticism era. <laughs> <laughs> that's pre smartphone. Yes. So everything in the smartphone era to you is new. Uh huh. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. Yeah. Oh, totally. All right. So thanks to Steve, John, and Pete for writing in. Contact at ifanboy.com is how you can write in to ask questions for the Media Explode show. We have others, but they're longer, and I don't want to go too long. We'll save those for other episodes. This is fun. Yay. Good times. Josh and I, of course, host the weekly Pick of the Week show, which we talk about the week's new comic books. We also have our monthly Talksplode slash Booksplode show. They alternate. One month, Josh interviews a comic book creator in the Talksplode show. One month, we... Talk about a graphic novel on the Books Blood show. And that's it. Those are the shows. That's how it works. I think. Deal with it. It's a lot of shows. You can check them all at ifanboy.com. That's where we are. Ron, where are you every month? You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at RonXO. And if you would like to indulge in my other podcasts, you can check out All About Android every Tuesday on the Twit Network. That's twit.tv slash AAA. That's a podcast where we talk about Android phones uh, that, I, oddly, I've been doing for nearly a decade. 
<laughs> but it's really? a fun time. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Uh, like we're up to episode, almost up to episode 500. It's insane. And uh, also uh, do a little podcast every now and then with my wife called Finale. You can go to finalepodcast.com. We recently talked about the series finale of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is a fun episode and not one I probably should have done, but I did anyway because my <laughs> wife loves the show and it's okay because everybody <laughs> loves Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And of course, you know, while I love my fanboy brethren, if you go to marvel.com, you can check the fruits of my labor every day and my day job over at Marvel. All right, so we'll be back next month in November for our final media split of the year. Well, it's our final, it's our final media splode. Media splode, right. And then, yes. And then, and then and December we'll have the all media year and spectacular taking the place of the show, which we'll spend a couple of hours going through many of these things in much more depth and also more things. And uh, that's our traditional wrap up of the year show. But that'll be December. And it's going to be a weird one. It's going to be very weird. We started the process of writing out the, the list of things we're going to talk about, and it's bizarre this year. Yeah. So, but that's that's in de- December. We're still in October. Until that time, I'm Connor. I'm Ron. I'm Josh. Thanks, everyone. Bye.